0: Notebook, book about witchcraft. You're listening to the Whitewood Podcast, a show about mystery schools, the occult, and witchcraft. Would you like to have a look around? Why have you come to Whitewood? Well, because I'm interested in witchcraft. I'm your host, Nate. Come with us as we delve into the history, techniques, and backstories of these traditions and the people who practice them. Right, welcome to the Whitewood podcast. This is the introductory episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about uh, a lot less of the actual show itself. You know, a lot less long-form discussion about stuff, and instead, we're just going to talk about you know, who am I? Uh, what types of materials am I using to create the show? Why make a show like this? You know, what's the point? What's my place in all of this? What has gotten me interested in the occult and uh, really try to kind of take it from there. So uh, without further ado, I say we get started. So the very first question I'm sure a lot of people have is, who am I? You know, what what is my place in the occult and, and why am I interested in the first place of even doing that? So uh, as I've said before, my name is Nate. I'm 32 years old. I live in Idaho, um, near Boise. And I have been actively interested in the occult for most of my life. I've spent a lot of time in study, uh, a lot of time collecting uh, old archaic books and uh, reading said books. I've spent a lot of time uh, practicing uh, both in groups and, uh, and alone. I have been interested in the occult as a lifelong fascination. And sometimes that comes in the form of uh, things that I don't think are real, you know. Things that I think are uh, just silly, superstitious bullshit. That uh, I'm just fascinated in the history and the beliefs of that time period, and um, you know the groups of people and the makers and the shakers that you know made some movement happen. You know, sometimes sometimes it's that, and uh, other times it is stuff that is uh, a little more close to home, where. Uh, I might have personal experience that leads me to believe uh, that it's not superstition. I personally uh, think that it's extremely important to attack, especially these kind of subjects, with an anti faith concept. Um, I, in most religious and spiritual ideals, there's an expectation that you uh, believe for the sake of believing, that you believe. Uh, because we'll show you later and, and just have faith and it'll it'll turn out. I think that that mentality in the occult is dangerous and that instead of just blindly believing anything that gets presented to you, that instead you should uh, test and verify and document. And uh, one thing that makes the occult in particular really difficult for that is that it's so subjective of a world that we're playing with. Um and we'll get a little bit more in-depth into what I mean by that. But um, I suppose the point is this has been a lifelong fascination and personal mission of mine to kind of get to the bottom of all of this stuff, if it's at all possible. And I, I have pulled a lot of uh, a lot of meaning in my life from that. And so I intend to create this show in order to pass some of that meaning along and, uh, hopefully encourage others to at least consider this as an option, you know, at least be educated in what it is so that if it's not for you, that doesn't mean that you have to judge your neighbor for living this particular type of a path. So that's, that's who I am. Um, I, a lot of people I'm sure are curious what kind of a person uh, gets involved in this I'm I'm sure there's a stereotype and and I would like to kind of address who I am in a mundane sense to kind of paint the picture that is what type of a person would even get in, interested in this kind of stuff in the first place um, so I, one of the stereotypes that I, I feel personally probably exists is that uh, individuals who are interested in this kind of stuff, don't have a very solid education or a solid head on their shoulders and that they are uh, in some way, I don't know, intellectually defective uh, or maybe emotionally defective in ways that they're like clinging on to fairy tales or something. Um, That is definitely not where I feel that I fall. Um, I have a bachelor's degree of science. I work in the STEM field. Uh, for a major technology company, I can personally attest. I don't want to call out what company it is. Um, but without naming specifics, it is the type of company that I guarantee everyone that is listening to this show has at some point used one of our products. Uh, I feel that it's it's necessary to kind of point out that very real intelligent professionals that exist in the world, and uh, are part of very real scientific and technological advancements uh, could potentially be the individuals that are interested in the occult um, and that that doesn't diminish their ability to be a part of those kinds of projects, those kinds of uh, life-changing technologies. So that's kind of what I do for a living. Um, And and the reason that I bring that up is uh, not to, you know, Uh, try to make myself out to seem anything but I want to make sure that that people listening don't feel as if the only reason that you would be interested in the occult is if you were mentally defunct because I do believe that my industry is filled with a lot of very very intelligent people and I, I pride myself in being surrounded by those people I love and respect them very much um so that's kind of where I come from and my educational background and my professional background without getting too much into specifics. Uh, Now I wanted to take a minute and kind of talk about the equipment because I feel like before we get too far into this we need to talk about the equipment. I know that there's a little bit of a buzz in the background and uh, as I've already kind of clued in on some of those technological things, uh, I am doing this out of my home office and in my home office I have a server That I use for personal reasons in order to host some web sites and online services, and in order to, uh, you know, uh, have a a a place to develop some of my personal skills. And so that server has to stay on, and I'm sure you can probably hear the hum in the background. And we're also running on some some computers as we record this uh, show. Currently, we have one single microphone. It's not a bad microphone, and it has a pretty cheap pop filter on it. Now. The reason that I bring all this up is because the audio quality is probably not perfect right now. It's probably enough that you can hear me and uh, that we can have this, you know, long form discussion about these topics. But I am aware that there's probably a little bit of a hum in the background and that uh, occasionally when I might have, you know, this cheap pop filter not do a great job at keeping some of the, they call those plosives, (laughs) keeping some of the plosives quiet. And uh, so we are going to be, uh, over time, improving our situation one by one, swapping out different equipment and making a more professional space in order to record this show. So I really appreciate everybody's patience as we pull together all of the audio for this show. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about is when did I first actually become interested in the occult? You know, when, when did that change happened for me. Um, I was raised in a very, very religious household. My parents uh, actively practiced a a form of Christianity that um, often has some connotations uh, about uh, it being a little bit more on the extreme end. And I was raised in a house where my parents were a little bit more into it than the other people at their church. And so... Uh, even though they were already in kind of a, a very religious scenario, even other members of their church have uh, brought up to me in my adulthood that they're a little bit uh, more extreme than others and that they're, they're, they're viewed in that way. Um, obviously, if you're getting something out of your religion, then I strongly encourage you to continue it because that's kind of the point. But I felt at a very young age that I was not getting anything out of their religion. And so I was probably about uh, 11 or 12 years old when I started to express, and I, I know I had been feeling this for a long time, but I, didn't, uh, I wasn't confident bringing it up to my parents because I was, I was afraid of what their reaction might be. But I started to express to them finally at about 11 or 12 that I uh, intended to leave their religion. Uh, the reaction from my stepfather was pretty um pretty mellow, and it, I think he thought you know he's at uh at an age where he's gonna be going through some changes and he's gonna uh start questioning some things and that's that's okay he's gonna come back around and the uh response from my mother was a very extreme borderline violent response um there was um the very first time that i decided i didn't want to go to church and the response was that she would physically drag me down to a bar uh which in her religion they don't drink and they kind of view people who do as um being actively in the process of messing their lives up um so she physically dragged me down there at 10 11 years old and uh tried to get me to go into the bar in order to show me how wrong I was and what my life would be like and how miserable everyone around um around me would be if I uh if I left And uh, I remember not wanting to go in there, not because I was afraid of the people or anything, but just the whole behavior seemed so extreme and crazy to me. And uh, not wanting to be a part of being, you know, emotionally embarrassed by being a child who's being dragged in by some screaming lady who is uh, trying to drag you into a bar, which I should mention uh, children are not legally allowed in bars. So my mother was actively attempting to break the law in order to show me how shitty my life would be. Um, (laughs) it was, uh, there was a point in me trying to stop this from happening that I remember she grabbed my wrist and it hurt really bad and she was trying to physically drag me into this place and I didn't want to go. And, um, it was just the, uh, emotional embarrassment of the situation, I think. But I remember thinking, especially after that, that was the first time I said I didn't want to go to church. I remember immediately going home and thinking like, I have to get away from this, that this like that. Anything, any ideology that could grab someone this extremely to make them react like that to a child is dangerous for me and that I need to get out of it. And that's a pretty scary thought to have at 10 or 11, because, uh, where do you go? You know, who do you reach out to? What do you, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still don't know the answer to that. I'm well into my adulthood. I, uh, I have no idea what you're supposed to do when you realize that your parents are psychologically dangerous. Um, what I chose to do was I isolated myself. I self-isolated in my own home. I spent a lot more time uh, reading, a lot more time playing video games, one player. I spent a lot more time watching television. I spent a lot of time not interacting with the members of my household. Um, It was a large family. I I had my mother, my stepfather, my three siblings, and myself. And uh, it's a lot of people to be ignoring and hiding from, but I couldn't get through to my siblings uh, how I was feeling about all this and um, we're not really sure why but in that time I found that just because I didn't believe their religion didn't necessarily mean that I had no desire or craving for the spiritual, the divine and um, I think like a lot of kids, I didn't have a whole lot of tools and and frameworks that existed in my mind. I, I had never heard of, you know, most other religions. I'm sure maybe I had heard once or twice in television, but I didn't have like a like a general understanding of what these other things were. I just knew what I had been told at church and what my parents had reiterated at home. And uh, still to this day, my, my mother doesn't, really have a lot of understanding. I was having a conversation with her the other day about other religious groups that live in her area. And she was pretty uneducated about even just the the surface level of some of those other groups like uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. And uh, she had never really been exposed to anybody who, uh, through no fault of her own, she had never been exposed to anybody who was living um, some other spiritual path. And so uh, at that age, none of that kind of stuff had been passed into me. I had, I had never heard of the specifics on some of those types of religions. And so there really was in my mind only a couple of things. There was the church and there was everything the church warned you against. <laughs> and uh, th- I didn't really understand any of the other things, you know. That there was like, oh, there's other churches. And oh, by the way, it's not just other churches. There's also, you know, other religions that have their own systems of churches and temples and mosques and all of those things. I I had never been exposed to any of that stuff. I had only been exposed to uh, there's church and then there's the bad guys. And so as I renounced church, uh, specifically my parents' church, I did the only thing I could think to do which was try to fill this large gaping hole that, you know, is a spiritual paradigm uh, with the only other thing I knew existed, which in this case was like, you know, witchcraft. And uh, for me, I I guess I was blessed that I grew up in the generation where we had access to the internet, but I was also cursed in that we had access to the internet because uh, when you have no one to ask for... Like, hey, what's a good book on this topic? You just grab whatever's available, and you don't have any compass as to, you know, what's what's realistic, what's fluff, uh, what's uh, you know, destructive, what's one crazy author's you know um, interpretation of something. So, so it um, it was tough the first couple of years. Um, I'd say the first five or six were just. You know, reading this book and thinking, man, I don't relate to any of this. This is crazy. And then reading this other book and being like, this is exactly right. And not really having a lot of a compass in order to figure out how to find the good information and how to not find the bad information. And uh, also, at that age, I'm a child. You know, I didn't have some of the uh, framework to be able to identify the difference between this feels emotionally good because I have some personal weakness that it's preying on and this author knows that I will keep buying his books and paying for his fucking coffee every day if he says things that make me feel good but are not the truth. You know, convenient truths versus... or inconvenient truths versus convenient lies. You know, I didn't have a framework for understanding that. I just kind of was doing whatever... And so originally I was uh, very interested in Wicca because that's the only one that I really had been exposed to. And uh, then eventually uh, Wicca didn't really mesh with me very well, not to say that there's anything wrong with Wicca, but just me personally. I remember hearing a lot of people talk about that feeling of like coming home to Wicca and it like uh, feeling like you've returned to your family in a lot of ways that you didn't know was there the whole time. And, and always thinking to myself, like, I'm not having that experience. Like, I'm not feeling that at all. Like, I, you know, I'm interested in this and, and it's, it's fascinating. And I'm, I'm very much like, I want to know more, but I don't feel at home, you know? And, and I, uh, even when I'm around other Wiccans, I don't necessarily feel, it feels like Nate and the other Wiccans hanging out, not Nate and his family hanging out, like as, as one cohesive group. And so, um, so Eventually, I started to experiment with some other stuff, you know. I, I had learned a lot from the the symbolisms and frameworks that enable you to uh, look at the world in a different perspective. And I, and I gained a lot from that, but I did find at some point it was lacking. And so I kept going. And, and that was the, the, this is the fundamental part of what has shaped my life in the way that it has, is that after... I had found some interesting things but still found myself like wanting more i moved on to the next thing so i uh i started looking at just general paganism at that point um wick is a little bit more specific paganism is a little bit more of like a like a general umbrella it shares a lot of the uh, systems for uh you know specific holidays and um how you might go about doing a working and and those kind of things but it uh was kind of a little bit more of an umbrella it had more subcategories under it that I was also interested in and so I started studying general paganism and it, when I was studying general paganism I found myself becoming really interested in um Norse paganism because I really enjoyed the mythology and the art form Uh, and the symbols and the fact that my personal heritage was kind of tied into that in some respect. And, um, yeah, so I started, uh, looking into that kind of stuff and, and it was interesting because when I was doing that, uh, I was not around a whole lot of people that were also doing it. Um, now as an adult, I, it's like everybody I know is a Norse pagan. It's crazy. Like, um, man, there's a lot of them. I don't know if this is a movement that has started since I started or if it's just that I was isolated because I was raised in such a religious house that I didn't understand that these people were out there or how to contact them Or and the internet was not anything like it, was, like it is today where you can just, you know, go on 15 different websites and find everyone that's out there and chat with them on social media for 15 weeks, you know? Um, it wasn't that yet. And so at first... Uh, that was isolating in itself was that I I had found myself in such a such a rare thing within my personal sphere and so uh, eventually as I started to work through that um, I would say that phase probably took up a lot of my life until I don't know maybe until I was about 17 or 18 somewhere in that phase and then uh, I took a step away from a lot of spiritual things uh, when I hit 18 to 20, 22, in a way. Um, I, I did what most people do at that age. And if you're that age, I encourage you to, you know, be true to yourself and uh, just keep doing what feels right for a little while. Try to find out who you are. Unfold that, uh, that giant mystery it's okay but um so I did I took a break and it it was a weird break man, (laughs) because I never really stepped away from the occult but I stepped away from an active daily practice and like regularly reading in order to increase my knowledge on the topic Um, there were you know times where I had within those years done a working you know, but it, but I wasn't like actively trying to better myself in that respect for a period of time, and then um, life was, as I'm sure, a lot of people go through. Life was complicated, and I was trying to find my own way in it, and I and I did what I'm sure a lot of people do, where I I lived pretty recklessly and then also completely demolished my life. <laughs> And I, uh, I found myself, um, not having a lot of resources or people in my life, um, and not really surrounded by real friends and, um, just partying all the time. And, but even in those, even in those moments where I was partying all the time, I I was still very much drawn to the philosophical conversations at the party. You know, I wouldn't, um. I wasn't as interested in just, I don't know, the the hedonism of it. I was much more interested in like being in a room full of people and like I could find one of them that's, you know, interested in this one topic and I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And so, uh, I, I found myself at the party, but also not in the party. Kind of like I felt in Wicca. Um, where I, I don't know. I, uh, I just found myself always pulling to the side of the party and talking to somebody about something deep because that's what I was interested in, you know? And then eventually, after my life collapsed like it does when you don't have a good plan and you don't have a lot of tools to, to make a life happen because, guys, life is complicated. <laughs> it's so much of a balancing act. Um, so when I was sitting in the ashes of it, I saw... Myself, the think for the first time, I, everything had collapsed around me, my life. I lost my girl, lost my home, lost my job, lost most of my possessions. I mean, just everything, lost it all. And uh, the only thing left was that sense of self, that sense of like, what I was actually interested in. Why would I go to the party? It wasn't to. It wasn't to listen to the music, which is uh, a personal fault of mine. It's uh, difficult to not hear the music, you know. It was so that I could, go talk to people that, were interested in these deeper spiritual concepts, and so. I had finally found that, gem, in my soul that that, meaning. And I started to put my life back together. And it was a very painful experience. And I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. So from about 20 to... I'd say about... Yeah, life starts to fall apart about 20. By 21, it's demolished. By about 22, 23, I start to put things back together. But I'm, I'm toxic. I'm, I'm so hurt by everything that happened that I made terrible, terrible first steps, I was just consumed by that pain, and that anger, and that, um, just, man, it was a dark, dark time, and I was expressing it in all the wrong ways, I was expressing it in egotism, and I was expressing it in, you know, self-destructive behaviors, and I was being an asshole and manipulative to those around me, and I was, uh, and everything felt shittier, but it was like, in a weird way, it was empowering, And so I just kept doing it and uh, eventually I worked through that pain and I came out the other side and I said, man, I got to stop acting like this. And so at about like 25, probably, I start taking that spirituality seriously and I start, you know, really delving back into it. I would say by like 23, I start, start delving back into it and by 25, I'm consumed by it all over again. And it's the, the, the focal point of my life. And uh, that's when all the meaning starts to enter. You know, I'm sitting in the ashes of my life. And, you know, by like 23 to 25, I start like building up this, this uh, framework for how I want to live and how I want to be and how I want to, you know, how I want to go about this thing called life. And that's when I started delving into the, the deep waters of it, you know, the history, the individual's who wrote this book, you know? where did he get his information and where did he, that person get their information and so on and try to track back these uh rituals and rites and techniques and um you know all of it. Just tracking it back and trying to get like a full framework of where it all came from and then finding myself also interested in things like philosophy, you know, like how much can your can your mind change when you're consumed by philosophy? And reading the greats, and the the uh, the literary greats over over the years that have existed that are, you know, overlapping with the occult world. Um, some of them just through theme, you know, things like uh, Milton's um, Paradise Lost, where it's, you know, I don't I don't know that it is an occult manual, but it is sure as hell uh, in the theme of something a little spookier and more interesting and. Or to me, you know, and uh, so I started to really play around with this idea of like, who do I want to be, and when, what do I believe in, and uh, how can I build this life in a way that, despite my previous failures and despite the fact that I burned down everything I loved, how can the rest of my life be positive? Because that was only you know twenty three years, and what happens now? <laughs> you know i i have to be alive for what 60 more years probably if not longer and and i'm just going to be miserable the whole time like i know i need some meaning in my life and and i found a lot of that in the occult and so that's that's how i came about to be who i am and uh that's how i became interested in the occult and and how I kind of came to it one time and then found myself coming back to it a second time and it was much deeper and more interesting the second time. And and it has um, really shaped my personal development in a way that I don't think a lot of people expect, you know. So, uh, man, I've used that word a lot. What is that? What is the occult? What does that word mean? So, uh, I have some definitions that I've pulled up and... Um, You can easily find these definitions by either just Googling them or going to dictionary.com or opening an actual physical dictionary. I'm definitely a supporter of physical books in this house. Um, So the the definition of the word occult uh, that I was able to found was supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, or phenomena. Supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs or practices. So. The study of the occult is the study of things that are supernatural, mystical, and magical. Um, So what does that mean, right? Well, supernatural, just uh, defined as um, attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or laws of nature, right? Um, I find that the word supernatural is kind of a slippery slope because on the one hand, that could mean a very real scientific thing that we just do not yet have understanding of. But on the other hand, it could be absolute hogwash that has just been passed down as old wives' tales over the years until people just accept it as truth and that it's really just, um, you know, exactly that, hogwash, right? Um, so, supernatural, mystical. So, mystical meaning to to do with mysticism. Now, mysticism was, in a, it was an established um established uh tree of understanding it was uh focused around and here's the definition i found the belief that union with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or the spiritual apprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender so mysticism exists in a lot of religions uh there's christian mysticism there's um, Jewish mysticism, there's Hindu mysticism, there's just general mysticism. Mysticism can mean a lot of different things, but it's, it's generally the belief of that union with the divine through uh, knowledge that's inaccessible to the intellect, things that cannot be discerned through one plus one equals two. And so some of that might be more subjective experiences, and some of that might be more emotional experiences, and some of that might be more symbolic experiences, but it's it's all uh, in that in that realm of it. It's not in, it's it's inaccessible to the intellect. Is it? And but it can be found through contemplation and self surrender. That's the idea there, right? So supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, and I think we're going to have to get pretty in depth into what is magical beliefs. So that would be like. Study of alchemy, voodoo, um, you know, some form of ritualized uh, belief system, um, and it, throughout the course of this show, I think that we're gonna we're gonna find that that definition is not what we think it is. That that it is a much wider branch than than people might believe. Um, all leading into many many different spiritual traditions um and then it's practices. okay so supernatural mystical or magical beliefs practices are phenomena so practices would be the specific rites, the specific you know daily practice what do you do and then phenomena meaning a fact or a situation observed to exist or happen especially one of those whose cause or explanation is in question so it's something that happens and we're questioning why now Phenomena does not always mean that it has to be in some kind of an occult situation. It, it, it could be a scientific phenomena, you know, it could be a astrological phenomena, it could be uh, all sorts of stuff, but it's it's a happening that we're in the process of analyzing or studying and trying to figure out why. So, that's our dive into what does the word occult mean. Um, it's It's a it's a big umbrella term for a whole bunch of different stuff. It could be secret societies, it could be witchcraft, it could be Kabbalah, it could be alchemy, it could be uh, astrology, it could be um, just a whole plethora of different things. And for me, I'm interested in just about all of them. Some of them, I'm interested only for the academic side of like, hey, this absolute pile of bullshit that's not real um, is interesting to know that you know, this, you know, small tribe here and whatever year we're interested in this and this is the practice they were doing and this is how it affected them, you know, as a culture. So some of it, I'm just interested for, you know, why why do things happen? How does religion and spirituality affect human beings? It's a fascinating thing. And some of it, I'm much more interested in it for... Uh, its actual application and how it works and how it interacts with my life and how it empowers me. Um, so that's what the occult is. What is the occult not? What uh, What isn't it? I would say that it's not any Hollywood portrayal of uh, itself. Um, Jesus Christ. It, the internet offers you the option to go out and find so much information that eventually you start to realize that Hollywood is full of shit and so is half of the internet. And um, one of the things that's very complicated is you go and you see a movie and it gets you all hyped up and you're like, man, that was so cool. I learned so much about those cool race cars that, man, did you know that that thing can go that fast? Did you see how cool that scene was and how interesting and exciting it was? I just can't wait to see the next movie. And like, none of that is true. None of it. It's all absolutely terrible. Um, the more I learn on any topic, uh, supernatural or otherwise, the more I realize how ridiculous Hollywood is. Um, all of the hobbies that I have, it, when they get displayed on television, I'm like, that's not even close to how that works. Um, and, and the occult is no different. So I want to make sure that uh, people don't think that this show is about, like, saying some words in Latin under the graveyard's arches and my hand bursts into fire. It's not about that, man. Um, it's also... Uh, oh, that's weird. I wonder why my... Oh, my audio cut out for a second. It's back now. Um, it's also not about um like darkness i a lot of times it gets portrayed as being like and you will sign in blood with your contract with the devil it gets <laughs> it gets turned into that a lot um generally it's not i would say that like 80% of the occult is not dark and that the 20% that is is barely dangerous <laughs> it's it, there, you do dangerous things all of the time every time you turn on the stove it is potentially dangerous just learn how to not touch the damn burner you know but you still want to turn the stove on occasionally and cook up some meals right i would say that it's similar um it is not about demons and devils and witches and that yeah it's not about that man um although it can be made out to be that way in certain circles but those little 20% of circles that are um like like a great example might be like levian uh satanism where um it is a satan themed spiritual uh system you know it's based on uh the the christian concept of the devil uh however the actual philosophy that is in it is not dangerous, in my opinion. Uh, so that would be an example of like the small 20% of things that are um, dark-themed, but but that are not nearly as dangerous as people are making all of them out to be. Um, it, specifically in that example, that's part of the point. And LeVay wrote pretty extensively on why, but... Um, I would say that most of the occult is actually kind of closer to Wicca, where they might use a word like witchcraft and they might use a word like witch, but most of it is this developing of a relationship with the energies and symbols that are in nature. Kind of like nature worship, you know? Druidism is a really popular example where they believe that there's, um, you know, some, some power and some divine source that exists in plants and certain sacred trees. And, um, Wicca has some elemental systems of understanding the world around you. And, you know, a lot of that breaks down to, you know, nature and the divine power that's in nature. So I I find that often, uh, these kind of things are much more down that road than any road of, um, what Hollywood might portray as spooky, so uh that's what the occult's not it's not uh it's not a system of Latin words that you say out loud, and then like I don't know, a shadow being appears in your room and rips your couch apart or something I don't know it's not that it's not, it's not uh bursting forth flames and lightning bolts and it's not that um. Uh, it's not Harry Potter. <laughs> it's not those kind of things, right? It's very important to understand the difference between fiction and reality. And uh, by no means would I suggest that, uh, that fiction is, is what we're talking about. Although, sometimes fiction is interesting to read and can, um, you know, act as a symbolic philosophical exploration that can help you to understand the world around you. So fiction has its place as well. And it's not dark. Mostly. (laughs) Of course, there are exceptions to that rule. But for the most part, the occult is actually the opposite. The example that I like to use when somebody asks, what is the occult? Is I like to say that it's God in a Halloween mask. It sure is spooky. But the dude under the mask is uh, very much... Uh, a source of light and wisdom and uh, on your side. So that's the example I use. God in a Halloween mask. <laughs> so um, we've talked a little bit about what it's not, what it is. So what are my personal beliefs? What's my philosophy? And, you know, where, where am I coming from? So um, I study everything. I am a universalist in that I believe that all systems have some value. And for a long time, as I kind of explained the introduction to my life and to this uh, to this path, uh, I was really angry at Christianity and uh, I was really angry at, you know, the the Judaic system, uh, Judaism, Islam and Christianity. I was so mad at it uh, because I had felt emotionally hurt by individuals who were in that system and I was associating that pain with that system. Um, I no longer believe that. I am a true universalist. I believe that uh, everything has value somewhere. Some paradigm for you to observe the world is positive. And so I do sometimes look at Christianity for, um, I don't know, insight. Interesting uh, that they would write that down and it was meaningful enough for those cultures to, uh, you know, portray that. And why are they using this as a symbol? What's the point of that? And is there depth in in all of this, and you know? But I would say that that makes up a very, very small portion of my personal beliefs, because I also feel the same way about all the systems. Um, I think the occult is kind of a passport that allows you to. Uh, the occult is a passport that allows you to move between the nations that are religions, and um, your your goal is to uh, you know find depth in this find meaning in this, and so there's no reason why you can't go to some Hindu practice one day and find meaning in in that, and then go to some, you know, I don't know, Wiccan practice the next day, or some other, you know, some Christian practice the next day, or, you know, there's no reason why you can't move around and and experience uh, the divine from every angle and from every paradigm. There's no reason why you can't. And so my personal beliefs are very universal in the fact that I think that all of these cultures were founded, you know, so long ago that the reason why they have stuck around is because they uh, had value to someone and someone tried to pass that value on through their own altruism and their uh, their own love and care they they found meaning in it and they tried to give that meaning to somebody else and that person found meaning in it and they tried to give that meaning to somebody else and then so on and so forth and, and eventually it builds up momentum and it starts to say, the only source of meaning is this one thing and, and then it gets violent and that's kind of what happens with religions. <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean that there wasn't some valuable thing that got the ball rolling in the first place. And so my beliefs are very universal in the fact that I am interested in all of them. I will read some Buddhism one day. I will read some, uh, some Christianity the next day. I will, uh, look at some ancient religions like, uh, Egyptian and Greek and, you know, just all over the, all over the spectrum. Very interested in, very interested in philosophy as well for the same, for the exact same reason. I think that even philosophies that I disagree with are paradigms for observing the world and, and that they can benefit you. And so I do, I, uh, I I read, I read philosophies that I I know that I disagree with, in order to tr- try to understand the perspective behind it, and the the real source of meaning behind it. Uh, however, as universal as I am, I have found a system that I self-identify with and that has benefited me the most. Uh, it is a system called Thelema. Thelema is a magical tradition uh, started by an occultist uh, in the what would that be the 18th century 18th century is 1900s yeah early 1900s started a uh, system his name was Aleister Crowley I'm sure a lot of people have heard um, at least references to him in a lot of pop culture Uh, for example Alistair Crowley is on the cover of um, one of the Beatles albums that has all of those influential members of you know, individuals whose philosophies and work had influenced the band. They it's uh Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. The uh the on the cover, Alistair Crowley's in I think he's in the back row, I think. Second to back row? I don't know. We could definitely look it up. I don't wanna Alright, I'm gonna look it up. Sgt. <laughs> Pepper Lonely Heart Club Band album cover. Boom. He is. See how fast I can find Crowley's face, and although there's other individuals here who are not interesting, so some of them I very much disagree with their personal ideas. He's in the very back row, top left, second from the far left. Yeah. So, um, Alistair Crowley has shown up in that pop culture. He's also shown up in uh, by namesake in the show called Supernatural. If anybody's ever seen that show there's a bad guy that shows up later in the show uh called Crowley being a uh I think they call him Crowley. And this is a this is a very interesting point that uh Thelemites will bring up a lot is that uh most of the world is mispronouncing his name. <laughs> it's uh it's pronounced Crowley like holy uh not Crowley like I don't know meow yeah it's Crowley and uh the system that he founded was called philemon it was based on this concept of will. There's a magical tradition. So we have uh, rites and traditions and rituals that we'll practice on a regular basis. There's also uh, two different secret society mystery schools that are associated with the religion. There's the uh, AA and the OTO. Um, OTO acts more as a fraternal bonds organization bringing a large group of people together who all know each other, uh, where the AA acts more as a uh, educational, you are working through this particular set of materials under the instruction of one person who has already gone through that set of instructions, and you are instructing the person behind you who is going through the materials? Who that you just went through? So it's more of an educational. Here is how this works, and here's the history of it. If you were to, if you were to almost consider that being like a, almost like a college degree in magic and occultism. That's kind of what the AA is. Um, both of those were founded. Also, well, okay, it's difficult to say founded, especially in the case of the OTO. Both of those were heavily influenced by Aleister Crowley. Uh, and then the overarching religion that he had, and philosophy that he had uh, founded, was Thelema. Thelema is the Greek word for will. Shows up in uh, the Greek Bible quite a bit. Uh, in the in the concept that people say God's will be done, the word in there would be Thelema. Uh, it gets mispronounced a lot, too. Thelema is... Uh, Thelema. Man, I've heard it pronounced a whole bunch of different ways, but pronunciation I usually go with is Thelema. Um, it's the concept of will. I see it uh, multiple times in the Greek Bible describing divine wills. So um, God's will be done, or the devil's will be done, those kind of things. It shows up in those contexts. So That's not not usually in the context of like willpower, so uh, I think that's kind of an important note as to like what the whole point of Thelema is, and it uh, foundationally is formulated under a couple of key points, key phrases. The first being "Do what thou wilt" should be the whole of the law, and then that is further expounded by "Love is the law, love under will." Um, I don't want to get too in-depth into interpreting Thlema for others because the system is very much built around the individual uh, and the individual's personal journey with the concepts. Um, But there's generally an understanding in Thlema that uh, there's a difference between wants and will, and true will. So there's like a difference between thine will being done versus... I want it. Give it to me. If that makes sense. <laughs> um, so my personal philosophy is very tied into Thalamic concepts of, uh, you know, individual will, um, freedom of expression, freedom of all individuals to express themselves as they see fit, and that it's not really my business um, how anybody else chooses to live just like it's not any of your business how I choose to live, unless I decide to broadcast that on the internet. (laughs) And then you can, you know, have an opinion about it, but you also can't physically stop me from, you know, going about it. So uh, that's some of the thelemic concepts that are very important to me as a person. Um, And as I said, it is a magical tradition. So there are aspects, just like in Wicca, where uh, an individual might experiment with symbols, experiment with energies, experiment with uh, frameworks through magical ritual. So um, that has led me to a lot of self-discovery and a lot of developing of my own personal identity because I'm surrounded by other people who also believe that religion, and therefore they... uh, are encouraging me to do things my way as opposed to doing it their way. Just like I'm encouraging you to do this your way instead of doing it my way. Because you will find that uh, your way works for you for a reason. And that um, you'll find out a lot about yourself in that process. And I think knowledge of the self is a very powerful and potent thing. And uh, the more that you understand yourself, the more control you can have of yourself, and the more you can exert your will upon the universe, you know, by understanding, hey, every night at 3 PM, I get super fucking hungry for Cheetos, but I'm also trying to lose weight. What if I went to bed at 2 30? <laughs> you know, there's there's uh there's power in understanding yourself and your own patterns and your own flaws and your own strengths, and uh and, and so because my philosophy and my experience with magic has led to a lot of self-discovery it has also led to a lot of power over my life in ways where I feel self-empowered by my own knowledge of who I am as a person what kinds of things make me upset and how I react when I'm upset can give me power over staying in control when I'm upset what kinds of things make me happy can help me to feel fulfilled it can empower me to do the things that I love more often Instead of the things that are expected of me by others. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that magic has, uh, magic and the occult have very much influenced uh, that process in myself, finding who I am, what I believe, finding meaning in, in symbols and ideas, and uh, empowering myself to live as I feel I should by the use of those symbols. So, that's uh that's my personal beliefs. Why make this podcast? That's a good question. Why would I do this? the The answer is um. Well, the short answer is because it has been meaningful for me. The long answer is that uh, during COVID, when the COVID nineteen virus ravaged (laughs) ravaged uh, whether that's uh, just personal lifestyles whether it's economically ravaged your area whether it physically killed a bunch of people and it ravaged the lives of those around you uh, I think it, it definitely ravaged a lot of lifestyles regardless of opinions on this or that or who and why COVID had a very intense effect on me And uh, this is what the effect was. Before COVID, I was actively practicing the occult, but I was doing so in secret, hiding, because I was terrified that my boss would find out or uh, my friends would find out. Don't get me wrong, I had had occult friends. (laughs) But uh, I also had some mundane, normal friends. And I didn't know how they would react to these kind of things. And so um, a lot of times I would steer away from the topics. And I find myself muted and uh, uninteresting because I was sitting in the corner of the room hiding who I was. I was living in a closet in a lot of ways. And then COVID happened and my job moved me home. They said, we want you to work from your home and uh so i spent a couple of years in my office luckily i had an office it was uh not very many years ago where i i didn't have an office where we barely scraped by and uh so by luck i had an office and i could i could work from home as they requested and then something interesting happened <laughs> because I was in isolation. I was a hermit withdrawn from the world, hiding in my house for years, for literal years. Because the whole first year, I was working for one company and everyone was at home. And uh, for the whole second year, I got a job with a, another company and they, uh, they said, hey, we just want you to work from home indefinitely. You know, you're already set up for this, and we want you to continue to do this. And um, what that meant was that uh, I didn't have anyone to fake it to anymore. I didn't have to fake it. (laughs) I could just authentically be myself. I could genuinely be who I am all of the time. It wasn't just when I got home, clocked off and was exhausted from the day. It was 100% of my life was now in my hands and I could be who I am all the time. And that was fascinating because it meant that I could say, you know what, it's my lunch break and uh, I'm at home and I have the privacy that exists at home and I'm going to read this old occult manual that if I was in the office, I wouldn't want someone to walk past me and look and be like, what, why are you reading the history of witchcraft in the 1600s. What is the, and then a week later, you know, walk past and be like demonology. And the, what are you doing? You know, like I, yeah, uh, I didn't have to do that anymore. I was in my home and I could just read whatever I wanted to read, whenever I wanted to read it. And I could, uh, well, what if I had like a solar adoration that I was doing and I would, you know, it's lunchtime. And normally when I'm at work, the sun is high noon in the sky and, and I want to do something like Lieber Resh, which we'll probably talk about at some point in this show. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do Lieber Resch, Uh because there would be people watching. But at home, there wasn't anybody watching. Now, doing this for a short period of time is one thing, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was a nice, refreshing. But doing this for two solid years meant that... Uh, I didn't have to be anything other than what I am. And I forgot how to pretend like I was different. I forgot how to pretend to be normal in those two years because I was authentically myself. And then, and then the world opened back up and my friends started going back out to parties and concerts and bars. And um, they started to invite me out and I was... Like, I don't know what to do because I don't remember how to pretend. Who was I pretending to be before? There was a character that I had built up and a mask and a costume that I was wearing when I went in public. And I I would, like, go through these motions, these lines that I had, like, saved up. And I had, like, built this persona, this character. It was a character in a play. And, and I forgot the lines. And I forgot everything about that character in those two years because I was just myself. And it was actually a little bit longer than the two years because just before COVID had happened, I had just been going through college and in college, I didn't have a lot of spare time. I spent all of my time working academically. I was either doing homework or I was doing work or I was working full time or taking care of my family full time. And so there wasn't time for me to maintain personal relationships. And so the combination of those things happening meant That when I emerged from my home after COVID uh, and things started to happen again, I no longer remembered the character I was playing before and that character's social circle had died. And so I didn't have to pretend who I was anymore unless I wanted to. And if I decided to do that, I would have to make a new character. And it was an incredibly terrifying period of my life (laughs) because I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into the closet and hide again or if I was just going to be this person and embrace it. And uh, some experiences happened to me through uh, frequently doing rituals um, in the privacy of my home over the course of those two years that led me to believe I would be missing out on something in my life if I went back into that uh, that hidey hole, back into that character. So why make the podcast? Well, because I gained all this meaning, and I got out, and now I want you to have the meaning. I do. I genuinely want you to have it. I don't want you to be the character anymore. I might be talking to one single human being. I don't know who it is. I might be hitting some heartstrings for a bunch of human beings. I don't know. But this might be a message for one human being. And if it is, I am okay with doing that. I am willing to make this podcast and spend hours and hours and hours and thousands of dollars... To try to send this message out into the internet and find one human being who needs to hear it. I made this so that you wouldn't have to go back into the closet. So that you would come out and be yourself authentically. Because I'm out now and I can't go back. And I'm terrified that we all made all this progress and we can't go back. It's a scary time. I'm scared, you know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what my mom's going to do. I don't know if uh I don't know if she'll accept me. I don't think she will. She never has before. She never accepts anybody that's different from her religious perspectives. So, you know, I'm going to lose some some relationships with people around me. I uh I'm scared about uh how my dad's going to react. You know he's a simple guy. He uh, he's a very mundane man. He doesn't he doesn't um, he doesn't delve into the he doesn't delve into the spiritual in this sense. He uh, he's got his beliefs. He sticks to them. He's a good person. He's morally upstanding. He's a good member of his community. I strongly believe that he's a valuable member of society. But. He's uh, not um, interested in the things I'm interested in. So I wonder that maybe he's too pragmatic and can't understand where I'm coming from with all this, you know? But I'm feeling those fears, and I think that someone else out there is feeling those fears, too. And there's another reason why I created this podcast, and it has to do with a period of my life that got really, really fucking hard. And uh, I suppose there should be a trigger warning on this uh, because we are going to talk about um, suicidal thoughts. So um, there was a period in my life just before college where I was working as a security guard. And um, working as a security guard is really difficult work for some people and really not difficult for others. Um, I thought that it wasn't going to be difficult for me because I'm generally very mentally resistant towards certain types of things. And I found that I was wrong. So one of the things that's very complicated about working as a security guard is that human beings are social creatures by nature. And acting as a security guard is to go at night And go through a whole bunch of empty buildings and make sure that all the doors are locked and all the windows are locked and nothing's broken and all the security systems are working correctly and nothing's been vandalized and that there's no people in the buildings and then if you run into a person it's not a good thing it's a excuse me it's uh sometimes it's uh not a big deal you know sometimes it's like oh hey I, I just used my key to get in I'm supposed to be here I just needed to grab some extra papers from the office and leave sometimes that's what it is um, but other times it is someone who is uh, breaking and entering or vandalizing or um, you know a vagrant who is uh, you know broken in, in order to uh, maybe not steal but in order to get some warmth and get out of the rain you know My heart goes out to those people, but um, yeah, security guard thing was very difficult because it's a very, very busy job because you have to go from this place to this place, to this place, to this place. And if you sit down for five minutes, you're going to be behind all night. It's a very isolated job because there's nobody else. There's, There's no one else awake. it's not like a job where if you're feeling down, you can reach out to someone because they're, you know, at their work and they're bored. (laughs) Or they're at home or, you know, they're watching a movie or something and you could reach out and say, hey, I I need to talk to somebody. And uh, there's no sunlight because it's nighttime. You spend a lot of time walking around empty buildings and it gets into your head because uh, something about they call it, what is it, liminal? Yeah. Is it, there's a great Reddit about liminal spaces. It's the spaces between. It's, those, it's that weird, creepy feeling you get at a bus stop. Because you've never been here before, but it looks like every other bus stop. And it's not really designed to be a space that you spend any real time in. It's just a place between places, you know? It's like the hallway of a hotel room You know, you're like you're at a hotel and you're walking in the hallway and all the doors look identical and you've been through other hotels before. But this one is its own thing, but it's not really a place. It's like a place between the lobby and the and the bedroom that you're going to sleep in. And and really the hotel itself is liminal and it's eh. liminal spaces are kind of creepy and eerie, but they're creepy and eerie because they just feel a little wrong because no one really spends a lot of time in those places. Right. Well, as a security guard, you live in liminal spaces. The whole world is a liminal space. You're in hospitals after they close down the facility, and you're checking to make sure all the doors are locked. And so you're walking down hospital with a flashlight because you, you don't want to turn the lights on because, you know, it slows your day down. So you're like wandering through old, what feel like abandoned building. It's like walking around in the apocalypse. It's nighttime. There's no cars driving around. You haven't seen a human being in three weeks. (laughs) You know, the sun hasn't, you know, you haven't seen the sun either. And uh, it fucks with you. Slowly over time, I started to develop anxiety and depression. Really, really bad depression. And I started to lose my grip on what was happening. And there was a period in my life where I was considering uh, killing myself. And uh, it was because I was alone. I was so alone. There was nothing. There was nobody. It was just empty doors leading to more empty doors for years. And, uh, man, it, it was really hard. I would say a year. For about a year. It was nighttime and there were no people. And there was one or two people that I got opportunities to ch- talk to. Um, I, I didn't really see my family a lot during that period of time because I was working nights and my wife was working days. And so I would get home. We were sharing a vehicle. And so I would get home. She would say, hey, babe, I'm already late. I got to go. Here, where's the keys? I love you. I'll see you later. And then I would go to bed and the sun would, you know, come up and, and then the sun would go down and I would wake up. And I was still getting, you know, I'd, I'd wake up. In the evening, you know, the sun hadn't quite gone down yet, but I wouldn't really get some time in the sun, you know, and um, yeah, it was just always dark and creepy and anxiety ridden and every human being was a threat and uh, you never talked to people and uh, after a while I started to be depressed and I started to feel isolated and uh, in this particular situation I chose to just go back balls to the wall with magic to just I mean there was nothing stopping me from what I ended up doing was a practice of asceticism where I uh, like heavily fasted for many many days in ritual settings 22 days I spent fasting Um, when you fast for more than a certain amount of time you need to have fasting food but that food that I was supplementing was like flavorless you know so I wasn't getting any like any strong flavors it was like uh like black beans and and uh i think was it brown rice or white rice i can't remember but it was just purely for sustenance you know to keep your body going it's very hard on your body to do this and um anyway i uh i remember that period of time and that loneliness and that uh needing an escape and, and at the end of it that's what the escape was was I uh, I did a very intense 22-day ritual and uh, a lot of praying and contemplation and you know those kind of things and uh, at the end of it I started school and then several weeks after I started school on day 20 I started school uh, about one week after starting school I was offered a new position, and it was daylight, and it was in an office, and I was surrounded by people again. Now, am I saying that uh, the ritual made that happen? I don't know. Um, What I'm definitely saying is there was a moment of ritual catalyst in my life that, after I did that, uh, I made some changes, and I got out, and it was very hard psychologically to re-enter into society, and it took me some time to get used to being around people again. And uh, then I was just surrounded by people all the time. It was crazy because I was doing school and my family was awake. And it was in the office and there's like a million people around. And it was like too loud. And everything's fucking all the time. It was just crazy. You know, it was, it was like being merged in the the opposite. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a wild transition and it was very intense. So, backtrack a little bit why would that experience make me want to make a podcast why make this podcast because I remember when the only lifeblood the only string in my life that I was hanging on to for dear life when I was genuinely committing the psychological uh, threatening thoughts I I remember clinging on to podcasts because there was a person talking to me and and I I couldn't talk to them back, you know, but I would listen to a lot of podcasts because I was alone (laughs) And, and I constantly felt myself wanting a deeper, more interesting podcast. You know, I would listen to some like, I don't know, some fun comedians. There were some great podcasts out there that, you know, people would just sit down, have a good conversation. It was fun. It was interesting to listen to them. Sometimes it got deep. Sometimes it didn't, you know, and it was, it was great. And I remember that being really meaningful in my life because there was like some kind of, you know, it was prepackaged, but it was, it was some kind of human interaction. And I, I really appreciated that. And it, it kept me going for a long time, but I remember in that period, always wishing that there was a good occult podcast so that I could listen to and learn more about something. And so I wanted there to be like, man, what if there was just like a podcast where like somebody did like an episode on, I don't know, the element of air and, and I could like listen to, you know, Oh, I never really thought about that, but it does tie into that other concept. Or what if there was like a, a show where, you know, somebody talked about like, I don't know, the golden dawn and, you know, like the history of the individuals and and what happened with that, you know? And, Oh man, that would be really cool to, to learn more about that kind of stuff. And, man wouldn't that be awesome and i just i couldn't find one i uh you know there were a couple of okay ones out there um but for whatever reason uh i wasn't finding what i was looking for and so here we are um i bet there's somebody out there that deals with a lot of isolation maybe not to the same extent or maybe to the same extent i don't know but that clings to podcasts as this method Of, you know, getting some human interaction and some new interesting information and some, you know, some education on certain topics. And man, wouldn't, wouldn't they benefit if they were, if they were me a couple years ago, wouldn't I benefit from the podcast that I intend to make right now? Isn't that what this is? I think that it, I think I would, you know, and there was, there was just, uh, there wasn't the thing out there yet that I was able to find. And so I'm hoping That if you're the person that's feeling alone and isolated and you're interested in these kind of topics, I hope that you can take something positive out of this and something empowering out of this. And maybe one episode is total bullshit and it's just interesting to hear a little bit about. And maybe one episode is a defining spiritual concept for you that... Opens a massive door of love and light into your, you know, personal little universe there. And, uh, great, you know, awesome. Cause that's why I want to make this podcast. The occult has been meaningful to me. And I have felt the loneliness of clinging to podcasts for any kind of interaction. <laughs> that's why. That's why I want to give that. To you so I think that's a pretty solid first episode I uh, I hope that this path can be as beneficial to you as it has been to me or I hope that if you're just listening to this just to understand a little bit more about some other people that exist in your world I hope that You can listen to this podcast in an open-minded way that will allow you to at least understand the beliefs of some other people that are around you, and maybe that empowers you to treat those around you with love and respect. So. Thanks for listening to the Whitewood Podcast. This show is made possible by our Patreon members. You can find us on Twitter at Whitewood Show and on Facebook at Whitewood Podcast. For links to all our social media and information about our Patreon, visit us at whitewoodpodcast.com.